0: Well, this morning we are <clears throat> moving forward in the development that uh, Jesus is going to present to his disciples, and I want to keep putting in front of you the objective where we are going with this, and as we lay down each each layer of <clears throat> this presentation of Christ. And our objective is that we enjoy perfect peace, the love of the Father and fullness of joy. These are the three manifestations that Jesus wants all of his people to experience and to possess. And sometimes you can possess something without fully experiencing it because that happens in a human, uh, experience, in a human uh, life. Um, we are capable of possessing something that we don't experience, but we are still the possessors of it. And so we are called upon to have this. This is the evidence that we want in our life, that um, we are in the, in the place that God wants us to be. And functioning there should be the norm in the Christian life, to function with fullness of joy to function with perfect peace, to function knowing we have the love of the Father in us. And so that's our objective. Jesus Christ is going to continue to uh, connect those three aspects of the Christian possession and experience with one particular event. And that particular event is your prayer life. That as you ask, God gives, and we have fullness of joy. As we ask, God gives, and we have perfect peace. As we ask, God gives, and we understand the love of the Father. And so really this study becomes a study not of love, joy, and peace. We're going to get there. We're going to study those out. But really becomes a study about our prayer lives. But all those promises that we keep seeing in these three chapters, ask whatever you want, anything in my name, and I will give it to you. The Father will give it to you. I'll pray the Father to give it to you. The Spirit will. All of these promises connected to an active vital prayer life have dependent clauses. That is, there are conditional statements to these. If, 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 if. It is those that we're going to center in on for a while. And while it may seem like what we are really studying is the Christian life, um, how Jesus presents it is uh, this is the the prerequisite to an active prayer life. Now we would think of in our last Lord's Day evening, we talked about the disciplines of the Christian life that we want to communicate to our children, among them being prayer, but Interesting enough, uh, prayer is going to be one of these because it says, ask. So we're going to get to that um, when we get to the next layer because you do have to ask. You can't just assume God knows your needs. You're going to sit there and wait for him. He he requires us to ask. And so we find um, these disciplines are there, but they have requisites behind them. And the Christian life is, I, I would contend, encapsulated by your prayer life. That it is one of the strongest evidences of what's going on in your relationship with God. I will compare it to your relationship with each other. That if you don't communicate to one another, if you do not grace one another with your, uh, more than just your presence, but with your engagement um, of your mind and your voice and your time, that you have a broken relationship Whether that is one or the other, you have that. And so we recognize that the evidence that I have a good relationship as well as the thing that that supports and, and encourages that relationship is communication, and so it is with God. Hence, when we are in his word and in prayer, we are communicating with God. And that evidence is a relationship and simultaneously encourages that relationship; builds on it, strengthens it. And so we're going to get to this whole facet. So all along here, in the next few weeks, you're going to be talk, We're going to be talking a lot about how your Christian walk correlates with your prayer life, because that is where Christ places it. We've already looked at the foundation. We've established that the Father had to send the Son, that the Son made the provision for us to have a relation with God at all by his coming, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, we have a mediator. And that we have to trust in him. That is our response and that next layer we have established is that we believe in him uh, not only in his works, in the signs, in his teaching, his words, but in who he is and what he has accomplished. So we have looked at those levels of belief that makes you a child of God. And rather than than being satisfied with the minimal level of belief, we are called upon to to strive after the deepest level of belief. Let's get out of the shallow end, and let's go into the waters over our head a little bit, and get into believing in Jesus Christ, the the incarnate one. And so we're going to actually delve a little farther in that today. Based upon our response to his provision, Uh, When we receive him by faith and believe in him, he provides us this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. We spent the last three weeks studying him and looking at his uh, activities as Jesus Christ outlines them here in John 14, 15, 16. So we've established that foundation. Now from here on out, we are going to really be talking about people who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior, They have responded to the work of Jesus Christ by faith-believing, have received Holy Spirit uh, in their life, and now they have that structure in their life. They have that helper, that that paraclete with them. And so now we are going to be calling you to respond to his activity. The Holy Spirit's presence does not mean he's active. The Bible makes it very clear that you can resist him. We studied that. That you can quench him. We studied that as well. Uh, And that, there's one more. Resist quench. Grieve him. There we go, thank you. That we can grieve him as well. So yes, you can diminish the work of the Holy Spirit even while he's present in you. He will not override your will to do his work. He simply will not do that. He waits for you. As Christ waits for unredeemed man to receive him and doesn't make them accept him, uh, so Holy Spirit waits for believers to submit to him to be active in their lives. And so he waits, often latent. He's a latent power in most believers that just waits for us to cut him loose and, and give him authority in our life, to let him have control. And so we come to this message and a series of messages that are for people who have the Holy Spirit, who have Him residing in them. And why is this important that I establish this? Because you can try to do these seven, eight things I have on my list here that well, Jesus has on His list uh, without Holy Spirit, and you will be frustrated. You'll say, this didn't end the way pastor said it would. Well, that's because you're trying to do it by your own strength and not by the power of the Holy Spirit within you. And so while you have to allow him to work in your life, um, without him in your life, trying to do these things, these religious activities we often associate with these, um, will be frustrating to you. And I've heard it. I've heard people uh, by their testimonies. uh, and, And yes, they are testimonies. Not of salvation, but against salvation. Oh, I tried that religion stuff, didn't work for me. That's a testimony. And what they're testifying to is that they didn't fully believe, they didn't receive the Holy Spirit, they tried to live the Christian life, were frustrated and gave up and said it's not for me, it doesn't really work, it might work for other people, but it doesn't work for me. Well, it doesn't work for you because it didn't begin well. You didn't establish the foundation of that, of fully trusting in Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced that there were a lot of people at this point in Jesus' ministry who at some point believed because they saw blind men see. They saw lame men walk. They saw uh, the possessed uh made well. They, they, they'd seen all of that. They believed. But then when Jesus said, if you want to come to the Father, you can only come through me. Uh, You're going to have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, and that's too hard, and I don't like that. And they walked away. It didn't work out for me. That Messiah thing didn't really happen for me. Well, why? It wasn't because of God's failure. It was because of their lack of trust in God fully. And so we come to these characteristics, and activities. These are really activities. These are not character qualities. Um, These are actions that Christians should be engaged in that please God. These are actions that will develop our Christian life, that will strengthen us, and that will bring forward a vital, that is a living, prayer time, a living prayer life, a relationship with God. And so we're going to, there are seven I have left. I, I may add an eighth, but we'll see. Um, they are, you might know, say, how can you change God's word? They're there. Well, one I have two. So I might split that one because it's kind of two sides of, of one. And so we'll see if I split that or not. But we're going to begin really in a place that you might say, well, we just studied that not too long ago. But we want to uh, make sure we're going a different, uh, a little further than what we've done in the past. Turn your Bibles to John 14. And we're going to back up. And remember, we're doing this kind of out of order. We're doing it thematically instead of verse by verse. But we are covering every verse here. And so here in John 14, I want you to pick up in me, with me in verse 7. And the main text for today is really just 12, 13, and 14. But I want to build up to that. Uh, God's Word says, If you had known me... You would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not, nor, not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Will do it. And so we begin with this fundamental need that for us to really fully possess and experience the love, peace, and joy God has for us. And that is that we see this promise fulfilled in our life. If we ask anything, He will give it, He will do it. But again, as I've shared, these are all conditioned. And the condition here is given to us in verse 12. And we're going to see some progression here very quickly. Jesus Christ has kind of had to back up a step that he shouldn't have had to back up to. And he had to back up to the step of, don't you know me? Because he says, you know me. Uh, And and so, in verse 7, you have known my Father, you know God, you know me, you know him and have seen him, uh, and so uh, every you are my disciples. You know me, you know the Father, you know my Father and me are one, you know all that. And then Philip says, "Uh, well, if you'd show us the Father, it would help. He says, oh. So he has to back up, and we've already studied this part, where he has a backup and says, you should believe me, and he goes back to the levels of belief, you should believe the works at least, you should believe my word, you should believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, that we are one. So we have the three levels of belief described there in those verses, we've already studied those, but Jesus Christ didn't really want to have to communicate that. He had to because of Philip's condition of unbelief. Show us the Father, and Jesus Christ says, I want to talk to you beyond that. I want to discuss something about the Christian walk beyond that. I thought you guys all knew me. In fact, he just says, you know me, you know the Father, you know that Father and I are one. You have believed my testimony, my works, and my person to the degree that you have know me. You can say you know the Father, that you have seen him because you've seen me. And in me you see the Father, and the Father... And, and I and the Father. And so uh, this is that confidence, that full knowledge, and this, this uh, relationship. You already have a relationship with God. This is the knowledge, not just of head knowledge, of information. Uh, we often think of know to be information, but we have different levels of knowledge. And uh, we, uh, here we are talking about this re- relational knowledge, we have different words in other languages, even in Spanish. We have the difference between uh, uh, to know and to know, right? So you have saber and you have conocer. You have, is that right, conocer? To know somebody and saber to know something. So you have relational knowledge and then you have informational knowledge. And so similarly, we have those words in the Greek. We don't have it very well in English, which is why the the Bible wasn't written in English because this is the sloppiest language on the earth, really, I think. And so we have a very precise language here. So you know me. We have an intimacy. You have been with me. You have followed me. You, you are trusting me. So you have a, this intimacy with me. Not only a head knowledge, but, but a, a personal knowledge. And if you have that with me, you have it with the Father and you have it with us together. And so that is that is the function that is the result of believing in Him, and if it's absent, then we have to back up and we say, now you have to believe in what I have said. Um, I've speak what I've spoken to you. Have to believe that I am in the Father. You have to believe at least the works. We have to back up to the original belief of that faith of salvation, salvific belief. So he backs up and spends a few verses to rehearse again salvific belief. That you should be well along that. You should already have that in your pocket. That should already be so substantial that you know me. And you know the Father, and you've seen us. So he rehearses that again. And then we get to verse 12, and he really gets down to what he wants to talk about, which is the Christian life. He really wants to get beyond that. He's been talking to the crowds about believing in him for salvation. When he's talking to his disciples, he wants to talk to them about something beyond that. You already know me. And in fact, he's already told them you're already clean. Remember, Peter says, oh, wash my old body. He says, well, you're already clean. It's just your your feet need to be washed because you've been walking out there in the dirt. Remember? And he's going to rehearse that again in, in this conversation he has in these, Three chapters. You are already clean. You don't need salvific faith because that's been established in your life. So now I want to spend a little time talking about your relationship with me and the Father and the Spirit For from here on out. What's it going to be like? What should you be engaged in? And we get to verse 12 and now we pick up where Jesus really wanted to go. He had this little interruption for a few verses because Philip says something that has to be corrected. And every now and then in my conversation with even established, what you think are mature believers, they said something, I have to correct it. Well, why? Because that's the words of an unbeliever. That's a thought, that's a philosophy, that's a mentality of a non-Christian. And it has to be corrected immediately when we're in the the body of saints. When you hear something said that isn't uh, consistent with salvific faith, it needs to be corrected immediately. So Jesus does that with Philip and the others as well. But now he wants to get back. All right, so we established, reestablished what salvific faith, what believing, really believing in him is. Now I want to talk about what I really wanted to address. Verse 12 Most assuredly, <laughs> I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I, I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he'll do because I go to the Father. If he who believes in me is going to be doing some fantastic things. And this is so strongly connected to your prayer life that it is your prayer life. That is, if you say, well, I want to do the works that are greater than even Jesus' works. Jesus says, you'll be doing works greater than I did, because I go to my Father. You have a, another mediator between God and man. You had the law, but that was an uh, inadequate mediator, uh, and it only made you guilty. But now you're going to have someone on your side, and you're going to have someone on your side, literally. Okay, So you're going to have someone in heaven. That's going to be your advocate. John uses that in 1 John 1. You have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So now we have an advocate before God, plus we have Spirit right beside us. We have Paraclete right here with us. And so we have this advantage. And Jesus Christ said, based upon that condition, you will be able to do phenomenal things. Ask whatever you want. And Jesus Christ, in other passages, said, Say to this mountain, be moved, and it'll move. Ask. What is the condition of this kind of activity, of doing greater works than of Jesus Christ? Well, I would contend that the condition listed here is believe in him, not salvific belief. That's already been established. He's established salvific belief. I have trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. And okay, great, that's salvific belief. You've established that. And it is very simple then to just rest on your spiritual laurels, the balance of your days on salvific faith and never proceed any farther. And that is not the victorious Christian life that God intended for you. He expects you to go to now a fourth level of belief which is a sustained trusting in god for everything you've trusted him for your salvation but do we trust in him in the everyday's of life if you believe in me greater works you will do ask whatever you want it'll be done for you i don't see anywhere in here yes no or wait which is what I was taught growing up, this is how God answers prayer, yes, no, or wait. No, if God says no to me, there's something wrong, not with him or his will, there's something wrong with my asking that I have not conditioned myself to have a proper prayer life. And I have to go back to these seven bases and touch base with them and say, what is going on in my life that that I'm asking Amiss. And yes, you can ask amiss. This is what James talks about. Let's look at James. You knew I was going to have to go there somewhere. James chapter 4. James 4, um, it's not really what he's, he's not really, his focus isn't prayer life, but his, it's his example he uses of the problems in churches. It says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? And by the you there, he means the church. Among the church, there's wars and fights? Yes. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures, adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever there wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And he goes into a description of of that kind of humble activity. But we see wrapped up in here that in James, he understood that the condition of proper prayer is, in, in his instance, of proper praying, and proper praying, praying for the right things, is dependent itself upon something else, and that is proper living. And proper living itself is dependent upon another thing, and that is proper belief. If I truly trust in Jesus Christ, I have no, I have no alternative but to be humble. <laughs> I can't. I have to humiliate myself to fully trust in him. I have to acknowledge that I have no resources uh, that are capable of meeting my needs, and that God has all the resources. And therefore, I have to come and, and supplicate before, I have to beg of him, I have to ask of him these specific things in my life. That's called prayer. Why do and so as we trust more and more ourselves, we'll find ourselves praying less and less. That's the reality. As you trust more and more in government, you'll pray less and less. As you trust more and more in bankers, you'll pray less and less. As you trust more and more in psychologists, you'll pray less and less. As you trust more and more in education, you'll pray less and less. Fill in the blank. you trust in anything more, you'll pray less. Because prayer is an abject, humble request before God for his will to be done in you and not your will to be done, nor the world's. And so when we talk about believing in Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus Christ, do I believe in him? Do I believe in him enough to cast all my cares upon him because he cares for me? Or am I going to sustain anxiety in my life? Now, I'm a guy that, that that's that's... My sin of choice, okay, um, that is the sin I wrestle with, that I fight, and my wife is on me all the time. This is why are you worrying? Why are you worrying? Why are you, don't you think God's big enough to handle this? Why are you worrying? Why do you worry? Um, and I beat myself up for it, and I openly confess it to people when it happens, and I kick myself every time afterwards, and I say, try to say that out loud too, and and God is good. He is capable, and he is attentive to his children. He is not a bad parent. He is not neglectful. Um, but we are. We are neglectful. Um, God is that wonderful parent who's prepared a bountiful meal, and the child comes by, takes a thing, and walks away. You know, does, uh, uh, gets picky and just wants to eat this one thing, and then walks away and isn't thankful. We cringe at that, yet that's exactly our relationship with God. We don't want to sit down and engage Him at His banquet table. We want to be able to walk by, live our own lives however we please, and just walk by the table and take whatever we want, whenever we want, uh, however much we want of whatever. And so we just want to be browsers at the banqueting table of God. And expect God to just keep it all warm and fresh for us so that whenever we happen by and think we might need to partake of a little bit, we can do it. We don't want to sit down and have a meal with God, not really, because we don't really trust Him that much. We don't want to have that belief relationship that I have to humble myself before Him and be thankful and rejoice and then be filled. Why do we have? unfulfilled joy? Why do we have imperfect peace? Why does it seem that we are absent of love? I mean, look at James. There are wars and fights and murders among you. Now, were people actually killing each other? I don't know, but Jesus Christ says if you hate your brother, you've murdered him in your heart. You're guilty of murder because you hate one another. And so he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. Because they're showing that while they have trusted in Christ as their Savior, they're not trusting him with their daily walk. They are not believing. They're not doing the works of God. And the work of God, by the way, uh, one of the greatest works of God is to love people that you don't like. That's one of the most powerful works of God um, in a church. Well, we love each other. Do you like them? Not really, but I love them. They ask anything of me, I'm there for them. I'll, I'll, I'll do what needs to be done. I'll fulfill whatever they need to do, and I'll do it with all my heart, and I'll do it in a loving fashion. I won't ever hold it against them. I won't ever remind them of it. I will not count the cost to minister to them. Do you like them? Well, no. Not particularly. You know, it's not somebody I, I would choose to be in my inner circle of closest friends, whether it's a personality thing or whatever, um, but I love them. That is a phenomenal thing the world can't comprehend. And it's shameful that churches don't have it. It tells you who they trust. They trust their own opinion of men. They are not humble. They are proud, which is what James is getting at. You're boasters. You're proud. Um, that's where it all is. You're, you're driven by your own desires. You're what pleases you instead of what pleases God. And this belies something. It betrays the fact that you don't really trust God with your living. You have trust him with your eternity for salvation, but not with your daily activity. And that's why when Paul says, pray without ceasing, we go, what's that all about? Because we're not believing without ceasing. You see, if we walk the Christian walk, believing in God each step, prayer is a natural event. It is the ongoing thing. I'm praying, I'm having a conversation with God. I am rehearsing his word in my mind and my heart because I have hidden it there that I might not sin against God. I am engaging it in meditation and thought. I'm trying to apply it consistently in my life. And while I'm doing that, I'm conversing with God in my prayer time. And that is not just the little time in the closet um, it, it, uh, that we set aside for prayer. It's not from five thirty to six on Sunday evenings when we do that corporately. Those are important times and precious times, but there should be ceaseless times. There are occasions that my wife and I say we need to talk, and that means something's going on that we need to sit down and have focused conversation on, and uh, and and uh, we'll. Find a place to do that uh, in our home. And when you have children, that can sometimes be a challenge. Uh, but we'll set aside time for that. And there needs to be those occasions that you say, I need to talk and, uh, with you, Lord. And you need to set aside time for that depth and that uh, seriousness of engagement. But if you think that's the only time I talk to my wife, you are sadly mistaken. <laughs> Okay, because pretty much if we're together, we're usually got something to talk about. And in fact, if it's gone silent for a while, every now and then one of us will say, "What are you thinking about over there?" You know, especially I do a lot of this when I'm driving. When I'm driving, I drive, and I've seldom talk a lot. Um, in fact, I've taken entire lengthy trips without saying even a word. Uh, and I'm usually going through scriptures and plowing through things in my brain. And, um, and then every now and then they will say, what are you, what, you're awful quiet. Well, I'm studying on something in my head. Um, but I can still engage in conversation now that you've interrupted me. <laughs> I don't say that. Why? Because I have a relationship. They have access. They have uh, permission to engage that. We have a relationship. So if we have a relationship with God and we are truly trusting him with our daily bread, give us our, this day our daily bread, then we are going to be engaging him on a regular basis, not just in these focused times of purposeful conversation, but in the daily things. Once we believe, truly believe that God is with me always, oh, what a transformation it is to your prayers. But truly believing means that I'm going to have a different kind of life. There will not be wars and fights. There will not be a desiring after the pleasures. I will not be asking amiss just to spend it on myself. Just for my own interests. But rather I'm seeking out the interests of God. This is what it means to truly believe in him as a believer. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to continue to believe in him. I'm going to trust in him. As we go back into Hebrews, we see again this same concept. And I just want to try to reinforce this in some of these other passages. Hebrews 11, is we call it the faith chapter, uh, because we have a lot of, of examples of these people of faith, the cloud of witnesses that we have around us that speak of what it means to be people who walk by faith. Um, Not just come into relationship by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ to have a relationship with God, but to walk in a relationship with God by faith. And so faith is described in the first few verses, but I want to jump down a little bit to verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. That's salvific faith. You must believe that he is. Now, here's the next. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. My question is, do you really believe that? Do we really believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? That is, do we have in our mind a good and generous and benevolent God who waits for us to meet the qualifications and is cheering us on and providing us every assistance he can so that we could have a vital prayer life? Do we really believe that that is who God is? Or do we have this idea that God is up there with this, these, these thick castle walls that have to be somehow penetrated and is stingy and waiting and saying, just try to get to me. Oh no. This isn't the God of the scriptures. This is the God that came down and dwelt among us, and right before he's getting ready to be betrayed, tells his disciples repeatedly, ask, 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 and it'll be done for you. Just believe. Believe not only in me to know me, but believe to walk with me, to walk in me. And thus, the life of faith is one that is pleasing to God, We believe that he is, but we also believe that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is waiting to give out awards. He is willing to, he desires to reward it. That's who he is, that's his nature. Can you imagine him in his relationship with Jesus Christ going, I don't really feel like doing that for you today, when Jesus Christ prays? No. By the way, the same is true in the Old Testament by other great prophets. And Hebrews is going to talk about that, that, you know, a guy prays and the rain stops. And God says, I'm not going to let it rain there until the guy prays again and says it's time to start it. Wow. Wow. God is right on it. And as soon as that same guy comes over on the Mount Carmel and builds himself an altar and sacrifices and pours water all over the sacrifice and praises God, bam, there's, the whole thing's burned up. God isn't like, oh, you big show off, I'm not going to do that for you. No, he just can't wait. Put me to the test. The the psalm says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Put, Put it out there, put it to the test. And for the young Christian, I encourage them to do that. Why? Because I'm not afraid that God's going to let them down. I'm not afraid of that. I am a little concerned that they might not be up to it. But usually those that are young in their faith are like childlike and say, well, if God can save me, he can do everything. I'm like, that's exactly right. And I love listening to your children pray. And oh, we should never discourage that because they really believe. They really do believe that God listens to them and they expect an answer and God listens. And I've had children pray things and their parents come and say, that's not going to happen because, why? Because you trust in the medical community, they trust in God. Who do you think is going to win that one? You see, you tried to make it so you could not conceive children and your child prayed for it and now you're with child. So you tried to trust in yourself and the medical community and your little child trusted in God. It's impossible, I can't get pregnant. Yes, you just did. Yeah, that's happened in my ministry. You see, who do we really trust? We'll trust And people, (laughs) I deal with this on a consistent basis, unfortunately, and it is one of the tragedies of being in the ministry. Is people come to me seeking advice or whatever? You give them God's word. You say this is the, the the principles of God's word to be applied to your circumstances, and they look at me and say, "Pastor, I can't possibly do that," and I become sad. Because they've just told me they don't really trust in God. It's not that they don't trust in me. You could say no to me all you want. And I, I, when I'm speaking in another f- narrative, I'll, I'll often say, well, I, I was mistaken on that one. Or, But when I'm giving you God's word and saying this is what God tells us to do in these circumstances, and you say, I can't do that, and you refuse to follow through on that, then you have exhibited that you... Don't trust God. And so, do I expect you to have an active prayer life? No, not at all. I don't expect God to hear your prayers whatsoever because you have to believe in him, first of all. Not just trust him for salvation. Now, these are not, I'm not talking about, you know, questionable people about their salvation. These are people that that were established in their faith and leaders and churches, and yet they evidenced unbelief in their daily life. And the, the range of evidence of that is so wide in my experience as a pastor that sometimes I wonder if any of us really believe that Jesus will give us whatever we ask, that we can really obey and that we can really follow his word, that he that these things really are true. And this has been a journey for me as a pastor to realize not to take it personally. The only one that's going to take it personally is God. He's going to take it personally. Why don't you trust in me? And as much as we might cast an eye, a suspicious eye at a guy like Philip, say, just show us the Father and we'll be happy, and, oh, what is wrong with them? Oh, that we would cast an equally suspicious eye at ourselves every time we trust X, Y, or Z instead of God. And so, yes, I contradict lawyers and doctors regularly. Yes, I contradict politicians and financial advisors and psychologists and educators regularly. I'll even contradict scientists. I'm not afraid of that. Why? Because I believe this book is the word of God. And because I believe the God behind this book and in this book, I can stand in truth. I don't trust these others. I don't understand how you can. Frankly, when they do not conform to the pages of Scripture, I will challenge them without end on every step, on the process and the conclusions. How did you decide that? Math. Math can be manipulated. I know you don't think it can, but it can. Especially when they start using letters instead of numbers. (laughs) When you get to that math, it can be manipulated. Do we really trust God in our daily life? Most assuredly, Jesus says to us, if we believe in him, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do, and the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Are we asking such things that we might glorify the Father? Do we believe the Father enough to pray in such a manner that we will bring glory to him? Not ease for ourselves, but glory to him. What would bring God God, more glory? My comfort or my suffering if it meant hundreds would get saved because of it? What would bring greater glory to God? There have been many, many... It's okay, I'm just going to go to this microphone. There have been many, many martyrs (laughs) who understood the principle... I want to live my life. I believe in God to such a degree, I will suffer even death to bring him more glory. Does that sound like something that goes on in your prayer life? I want to bring God more glory. If I truly believe in him as the God of my life, and I'm trusting in him for every step of my life, Then I want every aspect of my life to bring him glory. Then it will be reflected in my prayers. Lord, bring yourself glory in and through me and my life and what you have entrusted into my care. Whether it be children, whether it be other resources, whether it be ministries. Lord, I want you to receive the glory because I believe in you. Not in myself. And if that means that i must be diminished that you be increased this is the testimony of john the baptist then so be it i'm happy with that and yes that was from a man that got arrested and beheaded he must increase i must decrease this is what it means to believe in jesus christ daily take up your cross daily and follow him Peter says or Paul says I'm crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ lives in me this is what real christian belief is not was not when you accepted Christ that was the beginning of it that was salvific faith i'm talking about a walking faith that says everything now is to his glory and when that is the condition of our heart that we truly believe it will affect our prayers And so why do I pray for you because the father loves you I love you but I also know the same principle is true that if everything goes easy with you that you are likely to trust him less do you remember what happened Israel when they lived in paneled houses and had great barns and many animals, what did they do? They went off and worshiped their neighbor's gods. If you have the love of the world in you, you're not going to pray properly. You're not going to pray to God's glory. And so Jesus Christ associates this concept that if you believe in me, You're going to bring glory to the Father and then glory glory to the Son and glory to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And we are in the third position there. So we are the askers. Why does Jesus want to give us anything? Jesus is going to give us that which glorifies the Father. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. So when I say praise Jesus, he answered my prayer. The Father is also glorified because Jesus and the Father are one. So we're in the third position there, and so we want to see the Son glorified, but the Son knows that if he's glorified, the Father is glorified. This is what it means to believe in him and to do greater works than Jesus. I would contend that we have opportunity to do phenomenal things. And when I say that, usually when people say all oh, the works of Jesus, they think, Are oh, you're going to go out there and heal, and you're going to go out there and cast out demons. And, and I don't dismiss the possibility and even the probability of that. But Jesus says you're going to do greater works than that. There's works greater than that? Oh, yes. When dirty, rotten, disgusting, evil men turn and trust in Jesus Christ, this is a greater work than even Lazarus coming back to life physically. It is the greatest work there is for men to go from dead to living spiritually this is the greatest work at this point christ (laughs) i don't know that there are too many walking around out there that would have would be described that way they believe in him but pentecost hasn't come and even his own inner sanctum we have one betrayer and you have another guy that says hasn't quite gotten it yet just show us the father they're all going to desert him pretty soon they're not willing to suffer with him yet but it's coming but we have an opportunity to bring people to christ and that can immediately take those steps of faith to believe in him on a daily basis to trust him fully with everything including my life and thus the father is glorified because i'm seeking to glorify jesus christ in my life and wow Christians get a hold of that kind of belief system. I believe in God to such a degree that I will glorify God in me. Me, myself, am now dead. I'm dead to me. I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. Well, there's a lot of other scriptures (laughs) to reinforce this very basic principle that if you want to have an active prayer life, if you want to have the love of God and perfect peace and fullness of joy that comes from an active, vital prayer life where you ask and receive, then the first evidence of your genuine faith needs to be walking faith. Do you believe, not only that God is, but that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him? Are you wanting the Father to be glorified in the Son in our praying? Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for this challenge, this beginning of requisites that we have, that we might see a fullness in our Christian walk. Lord, we confess before you the sin of believing in this world. We believe in textbooks. We believe in newspapers. We believe in videos which all are manipulated by men we trust in our currency we trust in our devices we trust in our politicians though none are reliable lord forgive us Lord we confess our that sin of unbelief not of not trusting you for salvation but not trusting you with our daily life Lord forgive us help our unbelief that we might pray as we ought and that your name might be glorified in our midst And Lord, we know that this is only the beginning of several requisites upon us. Lord, it is fundamental. Help us by your Spirit to trust in you more this week than last, to walk our steps in accordance with your word more this week than last, to ask for you to be glorified in our life more this week than last. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.